I was just one of those people that I realized that I'd become very good at hiding behind a mask. Um, I was great at putting out this, this public display of a goofy personality, a bright, shiny smile, and really hiding the pain that was inside of me. Welcome to the Dairy to Move podcast. I am your host, Colleen Wetmore. Each week, I will give you a guest or a thought that will help you become aligned with your soul and your life purpose. We will have conversations about raw and real topics with inspiring and motivational individuals. So let's get deep, and I dare you to move into who you were meant to be. Welcome back to the Dairy Smooth Podcast. I'm your host, Colleen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy that you are tuning in. How is everybody doing? We had an eclipse this past weekend. And I've been feeling like shit. Like, so shitty. (laughs) Headaches. I got started, like, urinary tract infection, like, a week ago, a week and a half ago. Just now starting my natural antibiotics because the scripts took forever. Like physically just drained, very tired. I'm just like very stressed. So I hope no one else is feeling all this stuff because it's just not fun. But if you are, I'm sorry. And I know how you feel because it's just been kind of insane. Um, yeah, but that said, I don't really have much to update or say right now. I've just kind of had a messy few weeks, just been a mess emotionally, mentally, physically, and I am just honestly drained and I I don't even know where to begin with anything. It's just one of those weeks. Um, I, be, I mean, I've been um, learning more about energy healing. I'm reading a new book now. It's Wheels of Light. It's really good. So that's about it. It's very stressful at work. Yay! I took yesterday off, which was nice. I went to my dad's pool, to his house and his pool. So that was really nice to see them sit outside. It's so weird wearing masks in people's houses, though. It's so weird. It kind of sucks. Can't hug your family. That's another thing that's just, I think this COVID is kind of emotionally drained me too because it's like I've seen some of my family outside and you know for inside we're all wearing masks and stuff but it sucks and I know you all know this so yeah so that's it anyway and today we have Justin he is so great he gets pumped and this episode is so fantastic and inspirational, but he gets so pumped. I love his energy. I just was editing the episode. <laughs> I love his energy so much, but his story to how he was when he was a kid and his about like anxieties and build putting up walls to like not let people see who he was and it's just 
so inspirational and like I'm saying he is he is full of energy and it's it's so fun and he has a lot of wisdom and I know you will love this episode so enjoy thank you Justin for coming on to the dare to move podcast I I've been following you for a little bit on Instagram and I absolutely love you and your posts and you are, like I was saying earlier, you're very intimidating <laughs> to me, but in a good way. So I'm so excited to hear about your journey and how you got to where you are today. <laughs> absolutely. I appreciate it. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to start. Oh yeah. You go. <laughs> uh, I guess as far as me um, and kind of, what the the genesis of me getting to where I'm at now is I'm the youngest of five kids to two high school dropouts. Uh, my dad was 21 with five kids. My mom was 20 wow. with three kids. Um, no semblance of success or real role models in my life, things like that. I was always one of those kids that was kind of different. I knew that about myself. I was very observant and could kind of see uh, a lot of differences between my siblings and myself. I was very shy and introverted, which people have a hard time believing now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but a lot of the experiences that I had as a child create a lot of insecurities. I was one of those kids that, you know, looking back now um, and really understanding what anxiety is, what that looks like, I can say that I dealt with anxiety from the youngest of ages. I was a very anxious kid, very insecure. Uh, worried constantly about the future, but I was also a a very intuitive kid. I was very heady. Um, I was one of those kids that people use things like wise beyond your years and cut from a different cloth, things like that about. And I knew that that made me different, but growing up, I thought that made me different in a bad way. Even though adults were very complimentary about it. You know, when you're a kid, you want to fit in. Mm -hmm. And I grew up never feeling like I fit in. Um, I was very smart. So I excelled in the classroom. I was a great athlete. I excelled on the the different fields and courts that I played on. And because of that, I always felt like I was stuck in this middle ground where I was too smart for a lot of my athletic friends. I was uh, too athletic for a lot of the, I guess, quote unquote, nerdier kids. And so I felt like I existed in isolation for a lot. And it really just created a lot of emotion inside of me. I was a very, very emotional kid. And um, like I said, that thing that I thought was my biggest curse growing up is actually the thing that fuels me now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this whole uncommon life, this mission that, um, that I'm out there trying to, to get people to really buy into, to embrace their authenticity, their truth about themselves. And then out of that, be able to go out and create the life that they want, because I know exactly what it's like to not be like that. Because I was that kid who was different. Um, a lot of my life became about blending in and trying to, I guess, kind of exist behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it was very hard and it created a deeper level of emotion and insecurity and doubt because I had, I I always had this, this calling inside of me. I always had this drive, this determination to do something great. I always felt like I was going to do something great with my life or at least felt like I could. But then I also had this other voice inside of me that other people I know can resonate with where it's that voice of doubt. Like who the hell are you to, to have these goals, to have these dreams, to have these aspirations when look what you come from. 
And, you know, the anxiety that I talked about earlier really just continued to grow and grow and grow. And when I was in college, uh, I guess I was maybe 22, 23 at the time, I had a serious anxiety attack, which ended up resulting in me going through six months of extensive testing because I was experiencing all of these physical manifestations. Uh, and I mean, I was seeing mm-hmm. all sorts of specialists and just, just crazy stuff. And it came back that all of that was the, um, th- like I said, those were the manifestations of stress and anxiety and me not being able to control that in my life and to, to really accept the fact that I was that mentally weak, or at least the way that I viewed it at that time took a toll on me. And I ended up going through a really, really bad depression. I ended up almost losing my marriage, um, lost a lot of things that were very valuable to me, almost ended up losing my life because of it. And I was just one of those people that I realized that I'd become very good at hiding behind a mask. Um, I was great at putting out this, this public display of a goofy personality, a bright, shiny smile, and really hiding the pain that was inside of me. And from that moment on, like I said, it just fueled this mission. It created this calling inside of me to go out to motivate, to inspire, to equip people with the, the knowledge and the tools that they need to embrace that authenticity inside of themselves. And then, like I said, out of that, go out and create the lives that they truly want to live. Wow. I would not have imagined all of that with how you are today. <laughs> Just that's the incredible journey and story. So, so, okay. So, so just growing up, you just basically kind of hid who you were in a way, but more so you just kind of were, were like, I don't fit in with anybody. Yeah. So, you know, when you grow up in an impoverished, I guess, upbringing, mm. for lack of a better term, uh, it, it's kind of a, a dog eat dog world. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of good manners and um, people treating each other well, so to speak. And for me, that didn't, I'm a lover of people. And like I said, I was a very sensitive child. And so I, I felt like I couldn't express that side of me. And in my household, I was, there were four of us boys. I'm the youngest one. Mm-hmm. And it was like almost every day was a proving ground. And with, and with my dad in particular being so young, I mean, I tell people all the time, he was a baby raising babies. At 21, it's hard enough to have one kid. I couldn't imagine having one child at 21, let alone five. And um, for him, you know, he didn't have the uh, the emotional development and maturity to be able to raise us in a loving way. Mm-hmm. A lot of the ways that he parented us were with tough love. And back in that day, being in the late 80s and early 90s, not that my parents ever abused us, but parenting was handled in a much different way. And being this shy, introverted, insecure, um, emotional kid, I felt like I could never express that because I felt like that was just an area of weakness for people to really attack me. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was building up these walls around me constantly because I didn't want to let people into the true Justin. And what that eventually led to was me not knowing who the true Justin was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a woman, um, Lacey Phillips, she does a lot of manifestation work, but it's more Mm -hmm. about finding your, um, 
like, so she believes that when you're born, you're off, you're your authentic self and with society and programming, you lose that. So she kind of reworks that to find your authentic self again, kind of reverse engineer it. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. Um, but so would you say there's, was there like a specific moment in your childhood where someone said something or did something that triggered you and you were just like, okay, I cannot be myself in this space anymore. I wouldn't say there was a specific moment. I think it was just kind of a a cumulative effect over time to where it was, you know, it's almost like with little kids when you're trying to teach them a lesson Mm -hmm. um, and it's like the first couple of times they continue to come back, they continue to come back, they continue to come back. But then over time they start to kind of catch on was this, it kind of the, the negative experience of that for me, it was me trying to be my authentic self. Um, and you know, maybe something that would, uh, that would happen where it didn't affect my brothers in a certain way. And it made me really emotional or certain conversations that I wanted to have or certain things that, um, that I wanted to do. And when those things were shut down and pushed back against so many times, um, I just started to kind of, like I said, over time, uh, adapt my personality to where I felt like I would get the love that I wanted, or at least not feel as though I was being ridiculed or judged or made fun of or being outcasted, all of those types of things. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you also said you were intuitive too. You are intuitive. Mm-hmm. How so? Like, how do you, are you like more sensitive or? I just think that, you know, like going back to what I said earlier, I am, I, I joke about it. I tell people I'm a man of the people, mm. but I really am. I mean, I, I genuinely love connecting and building relationships with people. I feel like that's the essence of why we're here on this earth is to connect, to build relationships with others and to use the gifts, the talents, the skills that we have to globally and communally as a group to add value and to serve one another. Um, and so for me, mm-hmm. I've just become very good at reading people, at connecting with people, at using the, the insecurities that I can pick up on. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of why I do what I do now with the coaching piece um, and having a background in life coaching is because I know that there's a lot of pain that people hide behind, just like I was. There's a lot of insecurities. We live in a society where it's not okay to, to be vulnerable. Yes, we, mm-hmm. with the, um, I guess, people who are going out there and they're really trying wow. to make this big push to, uh, to, to shine the light on the, the necessity of vulnerability and authenticity, there, there's a, people are starting to awaken to that Mm-hmm. but it's still not a societal norm where that's deemed to be okay, especially with men. And so for me, I, I'm, I've just gotten really good at connecting with that and drawing that out of people and kind of helping them to cast that aside so that they can do exactly like we talked about earlier. They can reconnect with who they truly are because it's out of that understanding who you truly are that you can then, and only then understand what you actually want in life. Yes, I definitely will agree with that because I know for me at least and others that you kind of, people are like, oh, well, what do you want in life? And they're like, I don't know. And it's because they don't know who they are because society has thrown all this shit at them. And, and I love that you said you brought up men because 
obviously I'm in the spiritual community and the self help community. And I just feel so bad that men are always, we're always told like toughen up and you can't show your feelings and you can't cry. And, and that's just, I can't imagine. I mean, they even do that with girls too, but like our parents' generation just never felt their feelings. They just felt like it was inappropriate. (laughs) Exactly. And like I said, you know, we, we live in a much different time than our parents did. And, um, you know, it saddens me sometimes because the reality is, is we are as children, as we grow up, we're a product of our environment. Now Mm -hmm. we have to take on the responsibility to say, okay, I was a product of my environment and I was dependent upon these people to get me to where I'm at now. But now I've got to stand on my own two feet. I've got to create my own identity. I've got to own my own truth. And out of that, go out and create the life that I want. But most people don't have that level of consciousness to know that they can actually do that. Right. And it, it saddens me to sit there and think, you know, I didn't know my dad's real dad. My dad's dad was an abusive alcoholic and, and I'm thankful that I didn't know him. But to, to know that the reason my dad parented us the way that he did, not to mention the fact that he was probably stressed the hell out, like I said, being 21 with five kids, yeah. uh, being, being very poor, trying to figure out how to put food on the table, all these different things. But to know that you know, he was working with the straps that he was given, and that's how he was treated. Mm-hmm. And he still did a better job than that dude ever did treating him. And it just it hurts me to know that there's so many people out there that are suffering in silence, men in particular. And the reason they're not stepping up, the reason they're not saying anything is because that was instilled in them that that's cowardice, that mm-hmm. that makes you weak, um, that that makes you less of a man to stand up, to say, you know what? I've got pain inside of me. I'm hurting. I don't want to be this rough and tumble, this strong exterior dude. I want to be able to connect with the emotion inside of me because my life is miserable because I haven't ever been able to do that. And whether it's men or women, because I feel like we're going down this culture now where women are being more and more suppressed. I mean, we know that women have been oppressed for the longest time, yeah. but I feel like we're, we're with this rise in kind of like the far less, far left feminism. I feel like women are starting to be uh, suppressed more and more as well to where people mm-hmm. feel like they can't own that, that more vulnerable side of their personality. Yeah. I agree with that. And I kind of feel that women's suppression, feminine suppression is just like a global fear because the masculine energy is controlling and like whatever political side people are on, it's just, just a controlling way to like capitalism and and like agriculture and pharmaceutical and all this stuff. It's all the same Mm -hmm. branch, like company, I guess, runs it all, especially in America. So it kind of, I just think they're fearful of the feminine energy that's been rising since 2012. Yeah. And so going back to what we were talking about a minute ago um, and what I said that it's out of really getting to know yourself and really understanding who you are, what your truth is that you can then get clarity on what you want. Because again, there's, there's so many things that people think they want that have been passed down to them. You know, mm-hmm. if you grew up in my household, money was going to be very important to you. And, and that's not to say that, that desiring money and wealth and material things is a bad thing, because I don't think it is. I think everybody should, should have mm-hmm. their, uh, should, should aspire 
to have material things to some level because they do add temporary happiness to your life, all those things. But for me, much greater than money is being able to, to connect with people. If you could tell me today, Justin, you had to choose to impact a million lives or to make a million dollars, I'm going to take a million lives every single day. Now, I do believe that when I'm able to impact a million lives, I'm going to make a million dollars as well. Right. And so I think it's a both and conversation, yeah. but you've got to get crystal clear on what is most important to you because then, and only then can you start to understand what you need to be doing in your life. For me, security, um, and, uh, I guess being able to just ride off into the sunset and have that stable existence, it, that terrifies the hell out of me that that would be my reality because I know, you know, as, as a person of faith, um, and, and to each their own in that category, but as a person of faith, I feel like I was put on this earth with a big calling on my life to go out and empower and equip people to live their best lives Mm -hmm. and to help them understand they can do that. And I feel like if I'm not waking up doing that every day, that I'm not doing what I was put on this earth to do. And that's a heavy, heavy load to carry when I'm, you know, not in congruence with that mission that I feel like is inside of me. But the only way I could ever get to the point where I knew that was my mission or to actually step into that was to embrace all of the authentic things about me. So being able to embrace that emotional side of me, being able to embrace the fact that, you know, what, there were a lot of areas in my life where I had to be the hardest worker because I'm not the smartest or I wasn't the best looking or I wasn't the most talented. Being able to own that truth about myself allowed me to say, you know what, these are the things that I've got to do to get to where I want to go. And that's why I say so, so much that clarity is the biggest key to success. And it starts with personal clarity. And then out of that personal clarity, you could start getting really what I kind of refer to as your calling clarity. So understanding what you're put here to do and what does that actually look like in your life, in your career, in all different facets. Yeah. I love that. And I love your energy so much. It's like, whoa, it's making me all pumped up. Um, so how did you find your clarity and like, and like, how did you find yourself again? I think that, you know, it's, it's a big process because going back to like what you said in the work that other lady does, you've really got to go back to understand and reconnect with that inner child inside of you and say, Mm -hmm. what were the things that inspired me when I was a kid and getting, I guess somewhat away from the fact that, oh, I wanted to be a professional athlete or I wanted to be a police officer, like things that typical little kids say, but what were the things that you got excited about? Mm -hmm. What were the things that made you happy? Because if you really spend some time and reflect on those things, you'll find them. The problem that most people run into, people who reach out to me for coaching, whether it's in career, whether it's in life, whatever it is, people don't want to do the work. They don't want to sit in silence to reconnect with that kid that's inside of them. They don't want to have to do this for four weeks, 10 weeks, 10 months, or however long it takes to get clarity on who that kid was and what that kid wanted. But when you're willing to invest the time, the answers will come to you. And another way that I think that you kind of reconnect with that, aside from going inside, is look outside. So look at the things that people said about you growing up in a positive light. What were the things that people were telling you? Because I firmly believe that people call out our gifts in us. 
Mm-hmm. So when people were telling me that I was cut from a different cloth, that um, I was wise beyond my years, that told me right there that I had the tools. I had the things that were uh, going to allow me to be a great coach. I had natural wisdom. I had the ability to extract wisdom from people that I could then take and pass on to other people. And for everybody, I feel like that is true. You may not have had great parents who were encouragers. You may not have had... Um, you know, great friends or whatever, but there was at least one person in your life at some point who called out your gifts, who called out your talents, who called out something inside of you that is is part of your calling, is part of why you're put here and what you're put here to do. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. So, so basically just not really finding out because I, I hate it when you go to like a get together or a party with people you don't know and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, mm, can we start asking people like, who are you? And not just what you like to or what you're doing for your job because that's not who you are. So but I see, love that you said. I want to cut you off for just a second. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the only reason I do is because I, I and I love that you said that. But again, like I said earlier, most people aren't conscious of what you just said. And how no, important not. that is. And that's why for people like you and me, people who are on the, um, who, who are in pursuit of purpose, who are not trying to just live or, or be alive every day, but we're trying to truly soak up and live our lives. Mm-hmm. It's our responsibility to raise the consciousness and to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so for you to be able to sit there and to kind of push back on that in a loving and inviting way and say, you know what? I'm so glad that you asked that question. But before I answer that, I want to tell you who I am. Yeah. I guarantee you, you will blow people's minds. And for that person, they'd be like, oh my God. Some of them may be like, this chick's a total freaking weirdo. I don't ever want to have a conversation <laughs> with her again. Okay, yeah. that's great because it's not their time to raise their consciousness. But for others, mm-hmm. you're going to blow their mind to a whole new reality. Like, oh my God, like, She's so right. Like, that's how I should be engaging with people. That's what I should be connecting with. Mm-hmm. Screw what somebody does. That doesn't make them who they are. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't doing things they like to do anyway. So why are we so interested in what people do? Because we want to associate people's wealth to who they are. That's one of the reasons why. But I don't give a damn what you do. I want to know who yeah. you are as a person. And you want people to know who you are. And it's our responsibility, like I said, to raise that consciousness and to actually create that conversation because most people aren't brought up with that realization that they can actually do that. Yeah. And it's like, you assume that what someone does with their career is who they are like, Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm in claims. Okay. But that's not, has nothing to do with me and my personality and what I enjoy. Like I hate my job. (laughs) So I hate it when people ask me that I'm just like, well, okay, great. (laughs) Yeah. There's a reason why the new research shows that 70% of people say that they either don't like, or they're actively disengaged at their jobs. And that's why I don't like saying career coaching because to me, it's like, Oh, well, I just want to step one more rung up the ladder. But a lot of what I do is helping people get that clarity in their career. Like, what do you really want to be doing? Mm -hmm. Because like you said, you know, this isn't like, the, um, the origin of America where people, their last name was shoemaker because they made shoes or anything <laughs> like that. Like our, our careers are not our identities, but we associate it that way because we spend a third of our lives working. Yeah. And so we assume like, Oh, 
okay, this person is an accountant, so I can make X, Y, and Z guesses or inferences about their personality, who they are, what's important to them, yep. not knowing that that person is miserable Monday through Friday. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I, lo- I love that. Yeah. Um, so when you said like security and ride, like the stable existence, did you mean like career-wise? Or like career, um, financially, you know, early in my career, part of what led to, um, you know, my mental, emotional breakdown and my depression was that, uh, being out of alignment with that calling inside of me, I woke up every day, just absolutely pissed off at myself that this is what I was doing with my life, that I was sitting in a cubicle that I was, um, at the time that all that happened, I was actually working in the corporate office for a sporting goods company. And I, I, I always want to preface this by saying there is nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Right. Because again, it goes back to who are you and what is important to you? My sister-in-law works for an oil and gas company. She makes a good living, but her purpose, her passion is to be an amazing mother, is to be able to be there for her son, to be available for him, to be all in on pushing him towards his dream. She's so um, introverted. It, I mean, it blows my mind. But that's what she loves. And so she can go to that job. She can enjoy that job. She can find um, fulfillment in that job because it's allowing her to satisfy her true purpose. And mm-hmm. so if that's you, if you're going and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm an accountant. I don't hate my job so much. Like, that's yeah. great. I love that about you. We need accountants in this world. Right. And so I think that, you know, with, with the whole purpose or calling conversation, that's one of the things I like to talk about is that your purpose isn't always found in a profession. And so mm-hmm. making sure that you're crystal clear on that, your nine to five may be the, the thing that you need to do. And so you may just have to bridge that gap to find the, the least annoying nine to five or thing that you can handle <laughs> jo- uh, doing that's not going to make you want to rip your hair out for the next 40 years. Right. But for me, it was, um, it, it wasn't like a mild intolerance, like, ah, man, I, I kind of just like my job. Like, no, it was, I was waking up like pissed off at myself. I was laying down at bed, like in bed at night, laying yep. my head down the pillow, staring at the ceiling, not being able to sleep because I was like, if I go to my grave like this, there's yep. no way that I could sit there and say that this is a life well lived. And I had accomplished some amazing things in my life, things that, were, you know, by all um, intents and purposes, were not things I was supposed to achieve based on my upbringing, based on the, the facts of my existence. I wasn't supposed to achieve those things, but it didn't matter to me because the achievements of my past weren't the things that I needed to do in order to get to where I want to go. And I knew that. I knew that I wasn't putting myself out there. I knew that I wasn't speaking my truth. I knew that I wasn't owning who the true Justin is so that I could create the, the impact and encourage people the way that I want to encourage people. And I still struggle with it at times. Mm-hmm. There's times when I, you know, I'll pick up my phone to make a video and I'll make the video. I'm like, dude, that sucked ass. <laughs> like, that's not you. Like, you're speaking to somebody who you're not going to resonate with because you're trying to be something you're not. And yeah. that, that, that fire burns inside of me every single day to know that I'm doing one thing and that is that I'm waking up and I'm using the gifts and talents and skills that I have to empower other people to go out and chase their dreams, whatever that looks like. If it's a career dream, if it's a a relationship dream, if it's a health dream, whatever it is, to know that I'm doing that. 
Yeah. So was that when you were working with the sports place, was that when you had your anxiety attack at 22 or 23? Yeah. Okay. And then, so the physical symptoms came after? Yeah. So I had the anxiety attack um, that uh, early evening, probably around 5 p.m. And then everything kind of settled down. And I woke up the next morning and I was in this horrible fog. Um, I was extremely lethargic. As you could tell, I'm a pretty high energy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no energy. I just wanted to go back to sleep. Um, I just, I found myself feeling, uh, like really hopeless and sad. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I mean, those were a lot of the things I was feeling inside, but they were just so amplified. Right. Um, I was extremely dizzy, um, had this really bad taste in my mouth. So just all these weird things that were going on all at one time. And I was like, what is this? And I remember, I think the next day or so is like, I woke up the next day and it was even worse. Mm-hmm. And I told my wife, who was my fiance at the time, I was like, Hey, I need to go to the ER because I was an athletic kid, um, and kept myself in great shape. I said, something's not right. And I was feeling very real symptoms in my body. So I went in there and the ER doctor checked me out, ran all these battery of tests, did a CAT scan on my brain, all this different stuff. And I wish I would have listened to him. Um, because he even told me, he said, uh, he said, Justin, I'm going to tell you right now, there's nothing wrong with you. And I said, well, doc, I, I appreciate that, but there is something wrong with me. There's something very wrong with me because of the way that I feel right now. And he just kind of started talking to me about the brain. And he started talking about me, talking to me about the power of our thoughts and our beliefs and all this different stuff. And he even told me, he said, Justin, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. He's like, I'm not going to be surprised when it comes back that they tell you that all of this is being created in the six inches between your, between your ears. And it, it wow. was one of those things that it really kind of pissed me off at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I'm like, dude, who are you to tell me what's going on in my body? Like, you can't feel what I'm feeling right now. But in hindsight, and, you know, that kind of being the, the catalytic moment that pushed me into this life of personal growth and development and really starting to research and understand just how powerful our brains are. I was like, Oh my God, like this dude knew exactly what he was talking about. Wow. I'm actually shocked that he even brought that up because a lot of doctors don't think that way. Yeah. And like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. Go home. And I, and I don't think that, you know, from like a malpractice perspective and stuff that he would have said that if it wasn't for the fact that his sister was my primary care doctor and I'd been seeing her for years. Um, and so he kind of knew you were probably healthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it was just one of those things that it was, it was a huge blessing. And in hindsight, it was one of the most eye-opening experiences of my life. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I, I wanted to backtrack to that again because I know like illnesses are getting worse. I mean, I know there's like a collective global awakening happening too, but I just feel like we're all getting worse. Like I know for me, Monday comes around, my headaches are worse. I have a nausea. I don't feel good. I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to get out of like, so I know a lot of my physical symptoms are from not one, not being happy with my job. Mm-hmm. but, and I think as a collective, that's probably what's happening. Absolutely. So it's just, it's crazy. Um, 
so speaking of like collective and vulnerability and feelings and how we talked about our parents' generation not feeling any of this stuff or just going with the flow and living their life the way they think they should. So how are you, how many kids do you have? I have two. Two. So how are you raising them differently than you are raised? You know, there's, there's a lot of things that I've, you know, conversations that my wife and I had that were very conscious on my part to where even like with my daughter, whenever she was born, I said, Hey, I don't want to spank Charlie. I want to be able to discipline her in a different way. I want our parenting to be one that is not, um, very, uh, I guess, emotionally reckless and to Mm -hmm. where our kids are fearful of getting their asses whipped. If they do something wrong, I want to be, I want to be a teacher for my kids. And again, being a a person of faith, I want to be a disciple for my children. I don't want to just constantly tell my kids the things that they're doing wrong. I want to educate my kids on what they're doing wrong and help them to see the other side of that. Um, you know, I have very people from the, the time my daughter was two, I had very straightforward conversations with my daughter. I would sit down when she would do something wrong and I would sit her right in front of me and I would talk to her the same way that you and I are having a conversation right now. And I know at that age that she didn't know what the hell I was saying, but I didn't care because I wanted her to grow up with the understanding that when I do something wrong, yeah, dad may raise his voice sometimes or dad may kind of go off the rails if he's having a bad day. But one, a couple of things she always knows. One, I'm always going to apologize for my part in it. If I do something wrong and I overreact, I'm always going to apologize for my part. And that's something I want my kids to understand. If you do something wrong, damn it, you need to apologize and you don't need to feel bad about apologizing. Mm-hmm. You need to own your mistakes. But two, she, I also want my kids to grow up to know that dad's always going to let me know what I did wrong. And he's going to do so in a loving way that's mm-hmm. going to equip me for the future. Because a lot of times I felt like from whether it was my own upbringing or seeing some of my friends or my cousins and things like that, it was like, this is what you did wrong. Okay. I kind of got that whenever you yelled at me the first time. Yeah. But it's like, okay, how do we change this? How How do we, how do we make this better? What is the remedy for this? What are the repercussions if we continue with this? And not even from like, you're going to get in trouble again, but what are the, the social ramifications? What are the long-term uh, detrimental mm-hmm. effects of what you're doing right now? And again, my daughter's only four. My son's 18 months, and I already have these conversations with him. He <laughs> looks at me like, uh, Dad, I don't have a clue what you're saying. But again, I want my kids to grow up with that as their reality. I want them to know their entire life that, um, that I'm always going to be there as, as I said, yes, their father, their protector, but also as their educator, as their biggest ally to help them navigate the, um, the downsides and the struggles of life. You know, Mm -hmm. my kids, I'm, I'm a planner by nature. And when it came to having kids, I was one of those ones. I always want to have my ducks in a row. And Mm -hmm. when you have kids, I don't give a damn how in order those ducks are. When that kid comes out, they're all scattering all over the place because (laughs) there's no, there's no playbook for being a parent. There's just not. You know, people can tell you everything they want to tell you till they're blue in the face. You can read all the books. You can do all the stuff. There is nothing that prepares you for being a parent. One, just because all, every kid is different. You know, the things that I can say and do to my daughter are completely different than things that I could, that I can say and do to my son. Um, but yeah, I just, I want my kids to grow up and 
to feel empowered by me, to know that I am their, their biggest cheerleader. I'm their biggest um, ally, but I'm also going to be their biggest source of accountability in terms of um, growth. That's the biggest thing for me, you know, kind of a backstory on what drove me into finally taking this leap into creating my business was an experience that I had with my daughter and she was just a couple months old and I'm looking down at her. We're sitting in her rocking chair and it's in the middle of the night and I'm looking at her face. She's asleep and I'm just playing out her entire life. Like what's she going to look like when she gets older? Who's she going to marry? What's she going to do for her career? Just all these different things. And I don't know if that's a typical dad thing or not, but I'm kind of weird that way, (laughs) but I'm having this experience and I just remember getting so extremely excited about having the conversation with my kids about chasing their dreams. Mm. And it was like, as quickly as the excitement came, I mean, even more just like got punched in the gut with Mm. this overwhelming sense of like disgust for myself. And it's like, dude, you can't even have that conversation because you're not doing that in your own life. And I just had this analogy in my mind. I was like, I don't want to tell my kids what I think it looks like on the mountaintops. I want to be able to tell them from experience and better yet, I want to be able to bring them to the mountaintop with me. So that way I can tell them from a place of experience, a place of having been there, son, daughter, go and chase your dreams because I'm going to love you no matter what that dream is. And there's always, always, always going to be, as long as you live life the right way, I firmly believe there's always a, um, an ability to come back from a wrong move in life, unless there's just some freak scenario in your life, which is very, very few and far between. Um, there, there are very few people who have ever chased their dreams that that was the end of their life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want my kids to grow up with that, that belief, my belief in them and consequently their own belief that they can go out and make their life anything that they want it to be. Cause I don't ever want them to wake up with the regret that I had for so long. I don't ever want them to wake up with the, the sense of um, pain that you describe that you wake up with. I don't want my kids to have that. I want my kids mm-hmm. to be empowered. I want them to be feeling like they're being damn near kicked in the backside. Like, no, you're going to chase your dream. You don't have a choice. I don't mm-hmm. care what it is. You're going to chase it. And so, I mean, that's the biggest thing in, in how I, I raise my kids is just from a, I guess, from a stance of empowerment. Yeah, I love that. So, what? Well, no, man, I don't want to ask. I was going to ask, like, so what if your kid doesn't want to go to college? That always is like a curious question because it's like, it's you know, it's actually a great question because a lot of people ask me that. And um, I did not, even though my dad was, I guess, kind of, he was an entrepreneur um, later in his journey, but I wouldn't say that entrepreneurship is anything that comes natural to me. It definitely was not anything that I ever thought I would embody. Um, but I, I honestly don't care if my kids go to college. If, if one of my kids comes to me and they're like, dad, I don't, I don't want to go to college. On the back of that conversation is going to be a very real conversation. Like, okay, then what do you plan to do with your life? Because if there's no yeah. plan, eh, then we're going to have a little bit of a problem. Yeah. But if, if my kids come to me and they're like, dad, I don't, I don't want to go to college. I want to do X, Y, or Z with my life. This is in alignment with who I am, what I want to spend my life doing then my thing is, I, like I said, I am your biggest cheerleader. I am at your back because I know that the traditional route of going to college is not for everybody. I understand that. And we're, we're existing in a society where that's the trend anyway, of people going out and starting to really chase and pursue their calling and being able to make a living out of that in their career. Mm -hmm. Um, And so whatever that looks like for my kids, I want them to go all in. 
That's the biggest thing for me is just go all in. Whatever you're going to do, I don't care what it is, go all in on it. Yeah. I love that because like growing up for me, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 31. So it's been like, you have to go to school and then you got to go to college and then you get your nine to five career and then you retire and then you die. And I'm like, and it's funny because I worked with a life coach last year and I've been listening to my re-recordings of it. And the first three like weeks were just about my career and like a nine to five job. And I'm listening to them now, like sick to my stomach because I'm like, I don't want this life. And it yeah. finally like hit me like a couple months ago. I'm like, I want to be an entrepreneur and society just put into my brain that I have to have a nine to five after college. Yeah. And again, it's, it's all a product of our upbringing and our environment. You know, the, the environment that you put that you put yourself in on a routine basis. And obviously when you're a kid, you have no choice in that matter, but that's why it's so important for, like I said, people like us to raise the level of consciousness, to engage people in this conversation, to let them know that they, you know, you're a grown ass adult. You have the ability to choose who your relationships are, to choose what rooms you put yourself in, to choose what things you do during your downtime. You know, are you the person who's, um, you know, binge watching, four hours of Netflix or playing video games on a daily basis, or are you a person who's putting your nose in a book, listening to a podcast, watching a video, learning a skill, going to seminars, doing these different things, you get to choose your environment. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that we, we develop this victim mentality. And like I said, we take on the beliefs of what was instilled in us as kids. Neither of my parents graduated from high school. And so it was one of those things where they just always encouraged us, like, you need to go to college so that you can make your life better than mine. And it came from a place of love. And it came from a place of them not knowing any better. And, you know, back in the early 90s, entrepreneurship wasn't what it is nowadays. There wasn't this ability to be able to create a great life for yourself, especially um, digitally and not having to create some brick and mortar business where you're out there having to bust your ass for 10, 12 hours a day to actually build something legitimate. Um, and so I definitely think it came from a place of love, but, um, that's the biggest thing for me is I always want to make sure that I'm educating myself so I can then pass that education on. And mm -hmm. there's nobody I want to pass that education on to more than my kids. Yeah. I love that. And then they'll pass it on to other people too. <laughs> um, okay. So you're sitting there holding your daughter. I think this is the story. And then you were just like, wait a second. I'm wanting her to chase her dreams, but I'm over here miserable doing X, Y, Z, and I don't want this life for her. So how did you start the entrepreneurship journey and what fears did you have around it? Uh, you know, I, I wish that I could say like it was, oh, the next day I jumped yep. up out of bed and I wrote out this great business plan and had these great <laughs> goals and went out there and took action on them. You know, it was definitely a very uh, slow process for me. Mm -hmm. Um, because like I said, I really didn't have any entrepreneurship in my background, uh, in my family, anybody around us. So there wasn't anybody for me to really tap into. Um, and this was before I knew anything about, and really before there was this big awareness about masterminds and different things like that and mentorship the way that it is now. And so it just kind of became something where I started figuring out, okay, if this is what I want to do, then what do I actually want to spend my life doing? And being an ex-athlete, um, being somebody who was a gym rat and loved that part of my life, loved the way that that made me feel, mm -hmm. my, my first calling, so to speak, my first introduction to entrepreneurship was creating a personal training business. 
And mm-hmm. I knew that I loved being able to help people transform their bodies. And so that was kind of the start of it. But as far as fears, going back to what I said at the very beginning about growing up poor mm-hmm. and every decision in my early career being predicate, predicated around financial security, that was the most important thing for me was making sure that I was secure, that I was stable financially. And so that was the biggest fear that I had to deal with. Like, okay, if I step into entrepreneurship, whether it's full-time, whether it's a side hustle, whatever that may look like, um, at some point I'm going to have to make a sacrifice. And that scared the hell out of me to sit Mm -hmm. there and say, okay, I'm going to give up this full-time salary, even though it's a salary that kind of sucks. I'm (laughs) going to give this up in exchange for something that's not guaranteed. And so uh, really switching my mindset on that was, was a big undertaking for me because I had a, uh, when it came to money, I had a cost mentality. So any money that was going out, that was money that was spent there. There was no ROI in my mind. If you spent money, that money was gone. And so that was a big part of the journey for me was stepping into that fear, acknowledging it and saying, okay, I've got to be able to deal with this. Um, and so that's just a, a, a continuous growth process, I think. So how did you go about changing your money mindset? The biggest thing for me was really starting to consume materials from other people and learning about their backstories. You know, we always want to look at success stories on where they're at now. And I was just as guilty of this as anybody else of kind of seeing these people as overnight successes or seeing something in them or not even seeing something, but creating something inside of them, creating a story for them. Because surely there had to be something special about them in order for them to be able to create this life that they have. They have to be some wizard. They had to have money in their background. They had to have this amazing business idea that allowed them to get to where they want to go. And the more that I started to stop looking at people's successes, but start looking at the person behind the success, Mm -hmm. that was what really helped me to start transforming my money mindset and seeing, going back and really starting to do some research like, where did this person invest? Where was you know, this person bootstrapping it early on. And that's the biggest thing that you find is that for so many people who are successful, that's exactly what it was. It was, you know, taking the money that they had and putting it in the best possible place that they thought they could. And using that as motivation to say, okay, I got to go all in on this. I've got to, you know, push all my chips to the center of the table, so to speak. And I've got to make this work. And that was for me, I knew that as long as I kind of kept a closed fist about money, And I wasn't willing to open my hand and say, here, take this in exchange for the growth that I'm going to get out of it. I knew I was never going to get there. And so just like with anything else, I think that growth um, comes from the willingness to step into the fire. That's where you grow more. It's not actually getting into the fire where you grow. It's that conscious decision. It's at that moment. I told my wife this a couple of weeks ago. It's at that pivotal moment. Like say, for example, waking up and working out in the morning. So many people struggle with this. Mm-hmm. And I tell them every single day, there's a conscious moment in your head where you either tell yourself, I'm not doing this or I am doing this. The moment that that thought of I'm not doing this creeps into your head, that's when you've got to flip the metaphorical middle finger to yourself and say, no, I'm getting my ass up and I'm doing this. And the more that you do that, the more that you're starting, you're going to start to believe that, you know what, that's just who I am. That's what I do. And it was for me, it was, you know, literally sitting there for one of the first programs or coaches that I was going to invest in and I've got my debit card in my hand and I'm about to press enter and my freaking hand is trembling Mm. because I'm like, "Ah, I I, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm terrified. 
and making myself push enter. And then the next time, even if it didn't pan out the first time, the next time, still pushing enter, still pushing enter. And now I know if I'm going to get to where I want to go, it doesn't matter what sum of money it is. I've got to be willing to invest. And that's the biggest thing for people. If you're not willing to invest in yourself, I don't give a damn what your business is. You're never going to invest in your business. You won't. If you will not invest in you, you will not invest in your business. Mm -hmm. And I just had to come to that realization. And it was through constantly putting myself in that fire and having the willingness to step into it that I was able to grow. So like hiring like business coaches or masterminds or stuff yeah, like that? Whether, I mean, small things. Start small. If you're somebody who's really struggling, start small. Buy books. Mm. And, and, and don't bat an eye at it. Don't, don't allow yourself to get buyer's remorse about it. Go out, spend $10, $12 buying a book. Go online, go on Teachable and buy a cheap program and create this stair-step effect for yourself. But constantly be investing and don't let yourself say no. I don't care if something happened um, and, and you may not have the, uh, you may not think that you have the immediate resources available. If you, if you want to get to where you want to go, it, like I said earlier, it's going back to the planning side of me. I'm never going to have enough money to invest to get to where I want to go. But I've got to understand the only way I'm going to get the money that I need to get to where I want to go is by investing some now and getting knowledge, getting skills that are going to allow me to be able to increase my income. Then I can invest more. It's through mm -hmm. a constant state of uncomfortability that we're going to be able to grow. Gotcha. Nice. So your, I guess, main, I guess, not your main thing with helping people is um, helping people getting unstuck from the shoulds of life mm -hmm. and then creating um, and then having the clear, then they can create clarity and um, create a life that they want. So what is stuckness to you? Like, what is it? How do you define being stuck? <laughs> it's that sense of waking up and wondering, is this all there is to life? Mm. Or that sense of even worse, waking up and knowing that this is not all they're supposed to be to life, but yet you're settling for it. But you feel like you almost feel like you're getting to that point of hopelessness and desperation. Um, and you're like, okay, I know this isn't what I put here to do. I know there's more to life, but I don't know how to change it. I don't know where to start. I'm overwhelmed. I'm anxious. I'm sad. Um, that this is what my life looks like. And for so many people, whether they would express it to that degree um, it is, I guess, variable. But most people, if you were to sit them down and just kind of inject them with truth serum and say, do you, do you like your life? Like, are, are you excited about life? The vast majority of people would say no. Most people are just kind of getting by in all areas of life, whether it's financially, whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically, people are just getting by. And mm -hmm. to me, if you can't sit there and honestly say that you are in pursuit of your best self, you are in pursuit of your best life, you are stuck. Yeah. So do you think people are stuck or remaining stuck out of fear or like low self-esteem or they're just too focused on like the how am I going to do this? all of the above. Fear is a big part in it. Um, comfortability, complacency mm, comfortable, is a big yeah. part of it. Uh, people get to a point in life where they just kind of resign to the fact that 
you know, I've got kids now, or I've got responsibilities now, or I've got X, Y, and Z going on. My job pays me a good wage. Um, all these different excuses, we get complacent in life. Um, yeah, the, the overwhelm of how, uh, how am I going to do this? Yeah, I may have this desire of wanting to create this life, but I tell people all the time, the how is the least important part because it's not until you actually get your ass in motion that you can even find the how. Because if you're sitting still, it's like driving a car. Can you drive a car? Can you learn to drive a car sitting still? No, absolutely not. You got to get in the car and actually start driving in order to learn how to drive a car. You can't figure out how to step into your calling if you're standing freaking still. If you're keeping yourself in the same exact position, if you're not changing anything, you're never going to learn how to find your calling, how to step into that every single day. You can't lose weight sitting still. The only way you're going to learn how to lose weight, how to get in better shape, how to build muscle, how to build self-confidence, how to build a business, how to do anything is by getting up and actually start doing something. Moving in the wrong direction is better than not moving at all. Mm -hmm. Because at least then you can detour, you can get yourself back going because you're at least creating momentum. You're at least creating the confidence in yourself that you'll take action, that you'll do something, which is far more than the vast majority of people. Yeah. Yeah. I know with me, mine is, uh, kind of low self-esteem, but very, I get stuck in the how (laughs) I'm like, well, how am I going to do this? And then I don't do anything. (laughs) Yeah. And that's where most people get to, they get to a point, like I said earlier with the, the getting out of bed, it's at that point that you become conscious of that conversation inside of yourself. And you're asking yourself how, and that conversation typically results in you just stopping and not doing anything. It's mm-hmm. right then that you've got to take some sort of action because then you start, because what happens is when you get to that point of asking yourself how, and you stop and you ask yourself how, and you stop and you continue to do that. Now, all you're doing is you're ingra- ingraining a pattern of behavior. Like every time I bump up against resistance, every time I don't know an answer, I don't take action. And that becomes your default uh, pattern of behavior. Whereas on the other side of that, every time you push up against that resistance, every time that you start wondering how, whether it's going to, to find a podcast, whether it's looking a video up on YouTube, whether it's opening up a book, whether it's doing anything, literally just do something, mm-hmm. take some sort of action. And that creates this new belief, this new pattern of behavior inside of yourself that I'm going to take some sort of action. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what the end result's going to be, but at least I know I'll take action. And to me, I believe that if you continue to take action long enough, eventually you're going to stumble onto something. Yeah. This reminds me of the thing you posted. It was a while ago about, let me try and find it. It was about God and faith, but not... Oh, here it is. Stop waiting for God to provide something he gave you the ability to get. That's just like people just like, oh, I mean, I believe in surrendering and praying and just just surrendering wholeheartedly to the universe with your manifestations, your dreams, all that. But obviously you still have to take action. (laughs) Yeah. Whether, you know, whether you're a Christian, whether God, spirit, universe, whatever you want to call it, I don't care. I've never met anybody that subscribes to the belief that, um, because I believe Mm -hmm. 
I could just sit and wait. You know, as a Christian, I've yet to find the verse in scripture that tells me because I'm a Christian, because I believe I can just sit and wait and God's going to provide all this abundance in my life. No, it tells me I've got to go out and I've got to be willing to sow seeds in order to reap the harvest. I've got to be willing to take action. If you're foolish enough to think that you could sit on the sidelines of life and reap the benefits, I mean, that's just asinine. And that's not to, to hurt any feelings. But you have got to be willing to take action. You've got to be willing to get in the game in order to be able to to reap those benefits. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I remember when like The Secret came out. (laughs) And it makes me laugh because it was a good book to read or a movie to watch because it kind of does inspire you. But it has nothing in there about taking the action. Yeah. And that's the thing is there are so many people. And that's why, you know, I don't. I don't want to like poo poo on the whole manifestation (laughs) thing, but I feel like there's a lot of people who kind of just live out in airy fairy land. Like, Oh, you know, because I raise my vibration because I totally surrender and I do all these things. Therefore this abundance is just going to flow into my life. I don't care who it is. I don't care who your, your teacher, your mentor, your guru, whatever you want to call them. I guarantee you there's a lot of massive action in their background. They did a lot of things that allowed them to get to where they are now. Mm -hmm. There is not a person. And okay, I shouldn't say there's not a person, but the vast majority of people weren't blessed with success as their birthright. Like they didn't just wake up and have millions of dollars and a silver spoon shoved into their mouth. Most people have had to actually build something. And there was a lot of action behind that. Yeah. And that's why I like doing stuff like this because you hear people's success stories but you hear it from the beginning to the middle to the end. Well, not the end. It's still growing, but. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, I do agree with surrendering just because like for me, if I don't, I will analyze the shit out of everything I want to do. And I just, I just got to be like, all right, I'm just going to surrender. Like starting my podcast, I was scared. I did it, but I still like surrendered to like, I guess to lower my anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, I, I completely resonate with that. And it's the same thing, you know, as a Christian, I've got to be willing to, um, surrender to my God in terms of the, it's gotta be about his will, not mine for my life. But again, when you tap into that, when you surrender, that's when you start to embrace that authenticity of who you are and what you're put here to do. It's not out of going and trying Mm -hmm. to find the answer or even worse, create the answers yourself. But it's out of that surrender that I think that we get in tune with who we are and what we want in our life. But again, it's the other side of that where now the action has to come into play. You've got to actually start taking action on what you feel like you're being called to. Gotcha. So like, so step one for you is like surrendering and then getting the clarity on who you are to find their purpose. Yeah. You've got to, to me, you've got to get clarity on who you are, what's most important to you, what do you value most? And then out of that, then, and only then can you start to really understand what is my purpose? What is my calling? Whatever you want to call it. Um, And then, okay, how do I actually go out and create that in my life? Is it something I can do for a profession? Is it something that um, is that I need to be doing on the side, whatever that looks like for you, 
but you have to get crystal clear on who you are first before you can figure out what you want. And I remember one of the first times you ever reached out to me, it was because I had made a post um, along the lines of something about that. I don't remember exactly what the post was, but <laughs> um, I think it was like, stop trying to figure out what you want if you don't even know who you are yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And that's what so many people do. They're trying to go out there every single day and they're trying to figure out who they want, but they're in that state that I was in so many years ago, they don't know who they are. They don't know what they value anymore. They can't even get out there and project their true personality without overanalyzing everything, without worrying about people judging them. Until you can own that true, authentic version of you, you, can have, you cannot have a clue what you want in your life. Yeah. You can't. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's funny because I never would have thought of that a year or two ago. Yeah. Like I just like, oh, I know what I want. Cause I went to school for environmental policy and management. I still am passionate about it and I still love it and want to protect the planet. But now it's like, I want to make money doing what I enjoy entrepreneurship and then make like foundations to help the planet. Like I'm like, I don't want a nine to five job even in the environmental field anymore because that's not really truly what I wanted deep down. Yeah. And I had, a, I had to reprogram my brain and be like, okay, this is not what I want. This is what society wanted for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love that. So, so going back to what you were saying earlier, because how you found your authentic self. So a lot of it for you was just about getting silent. So is there anything else for people that you, like any tools that you think besides getting silent that could help someone who hasn't found their clarity and who they are yet. I think, um, like I said, really leaning into the people around you and it can be oh, yes, um, too. Yeah. people even now that maybe not, didn't even know you as a kid. Because another thing that I believe is because we are relational creatures, because we're created to exist in community, not in isolation, we have most people, I should say, have a great BS meter. We have a great ability to pick up on the authentic version of somebody. Um, and we also know when they're not being that version of themselves. Yeah. So go and ask other people. Go ask somebody, a coworker. Go ask a family member. Hey, what is my gift? What, what am I good at? What, what do you see in me that makes me special? And most people will be able to tell you. Most people will be able to say, and like, you could do something simple. Like on Facebook, I put up something last week and I said, what three words would you use to describe me? Oh, yeah, it's you not put that so on your that, Instagram stories. Yeah. It is not so that I can have like some humble brag, like, oh, hey, look at me. Everybody thinks I'm great. No, I want people to be honest. If there's people out there that think that I'm a jerk or that <laughs> think that I'm some jackass or something like that. I want people to tell me that because I want to know what it is about me. Because yeah. I've had people in the past who have told me that I'm arrogant. And I'm like, okay, if you really knew me, you would know that I was one of the most insecure people ever for so much of my life. So I'm the furthest thing from arrogant. Someone really said you were arrogant? Yeah. I don't see that at all. Who have said that. I don't see that at all. What I tell people all the time is, you know, a lot of the things and a lot of the, uh, or I guess a lot of the things that we say about other people are us projecting our own insecurities on other people. Yeah. Um, You know, a lot of anger that people have towards others um, mm-hmm. is a projection of their anger onto somebody else. And so a lot of that I get comes from a place of insecurity, but I genuinely want to know how people view me because I want to make sure that the, 
the, the Justin that everybody else is experiencing isn't a facade. Yeah. I don't want people coming back and telling me things that I don't believe to be true about me. I want people to reinforce the things that are most important about me to me, because then I know that I'm stepping out there and that people are resonating with who I am and that's actually connecting with people. So have the courage to do something like that. Put it out on Facebook. I don't care if you get two people or 200 people to respond. Yeah. People will call your gifts out in you, but you got to have the courage to ask. And most people don't because they're afraid of criticism. They're afraid of something coming back that they don't want to hear, but you're, you're never going to grow unless you know. Yeah. I remember I put intense for years as the first one. And I'm like, I'm going to put this, even though it's my projection onto him, because That's every okay. time you talk, I'm just like, this kid is just like yelling. I feel like you're like screaming at me to like, wake the fuck up and do what I need to do. So I'm like, right. he's so intense. If that's what I got to be. For start, and it's kind of funny because I analyze my videos. Like I'm my own biggest critic and I mean, I'm analyzing my video. I'm like, dude, you got to <laughs> smile more. You got to like, be a little less intense. But again, if I do that, those are the ones where I pick my phone and I look, watch the video back. And I'm like, dude, that sucked. That's not you. And yeah. there was something great that I heard, um, uh, a podcast interview that Tony Robbins did recently. And he was talking about how he understood early on that his style is not for everybody. This dude's probably impacted more lives no. um, than just about anybody in, a, in terms of personal growth and development than anybody walking this planet. Yeah. And even he understands that his style is not for everybody. And I've got to be the same way. I'm a very upbeat, very happy-go-lucky type of person. But a lot of my teaching is very in your face. It is very like, it wake is. your ass up and get out there and do something with your life. Stop being a victim. And you want to know why it comes across that way? Because you know who I'm talking to? yourself. I'm talking to me. Mm-hmm. It's a constant daily reminder to me yep. to make sure I'm doing that. Yeah. There's so many people like Ed Milet's another one that I love. If you listen, to, have you ever listened to Ed Milet stuff? Mm-mm. Go listen to him. You think I'm intense? This dude's got a freaking big old barrel <laughs> chest and a deep voice. <laughs> and th- this dude is intense. But then you see him on the other side of it. You see him on his Instagram stories and he's so inspirational. He's so uplifting. Um, and, and that's it? what I want to be. Ed Milet, great, great, um, person to listen to. He's got a wonderful podcast, um, puts a lot of great stuff out on Instagram. Um, great guy, but he's somebody that I, I, I don't try to emulate, but I see a lot of myself in him because when he gets fiery, when he gets passionate about something, he doesn't care if he's smiling. Yeah. He cares about what impact am I making on you? Am I breaking down those walls of disbelief? Am I breaking down those walls of insecurity? Am I able to pierce through to your heart? And the way that I'm going to pierce to your heart is not me like knocking on the door. (laughs) I've got to come in there and I've got to kick that damn wall down because that was the only way I could get through to myself. And that's how I resonate. That's how I connect with people. Yeah. I feel you so much on that because when I write my, I hate, I hate Instagram. I hate social media, but I do it to promote my podcast, but I, every time I read a post, it's always about something I've been through or something I'm going through. And I'm just like, all right, I'm going to call myself out and I'm going to like yell at this person, but it's really yelling at myself. Like, I think yesterday I posted like, why are, why are you staying small? And I'm like, I'm staying small. So I'm going to just call it out. (laughs) That's exactly right. And that's what people resonate with though, because that's authentic. Yeah. It's not like, Hey, look at my Lambos and my fat sacks of cash. 
How many people can resonate with that? It's like, no, like, hey, get your ass up and do something with your life because you're not a victim and you don't have to settle for what you're settling for in your life. People are like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, (laughs) he was talking directly to me when he said that. Well, no, I wasn't. I was talking directly to me, but I know that you're more like me than you may think you are. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can eventually talk about the cash stacks cash you have because you worked your ass off to get there and you're doing what you love. So (laughs) all right. Any other words of wisdom you have? Because I could literally talk to you all night, but I figured we should wrap it up. Uh, I mean, the, the biggest thing for me is, and that I want your listeners to hear is, you know, we, we use it as a cliche that we get one life, but it's so absolutely true. And doing the, the whole like deathbed exercise to sit there and say, you know, Mm -hmm. if, if you were honestly on your deathbed right now and you had to reflect back on your life, no matter how long it's been, I don't care if you're 18 or 80, can you say that you have maximized your potential? Mm-hmm. Can you say that you have truly lived an abundant life that you've left it out all that you've left it all out on the field, so to speak? Can you say that? And if you can't, what needs to change? What do yeah. you need to do? What fears do you need to embrace? What identity do you need to step into? What um, what risks do you need to take in order to make that true? And then. Think about that and then reverse engineer the process. Go back and start taking action on it. Because what you find is once you start to take action and you build momentum, it's just like a a boulder rolling down a hill. Once it starts to build up and pick up speed, I mean, there's no stopping it from there. And once you start to, to take those action steps, once you start to build that momentum, you just start to build this, um, this immense amount of belief in yourself to be able to create what you want to create. Is it going to come fast? Hell no. Mm. Are there going to be setbacks? Absolutely. Is there going to be pain? Is there going to be sweat? Is there going to be tears? Yes. If you're somebody who cares about what you're doing with your life, but that's all part of the process. And Mm. I would much rather have all of those things in droves, but be able to look back at my life and say, you know what? I gave it everything that I have. I stepped into the fear every time. I did what I had to do. I lived a life well lived than to not take those chances, to not step into that fear and look back with regret. That is my biggest fear is to look back with regret and say that. um, I love what Les Brown says when he says that the graveyard is the richest place on earth because because of the number of people who go there um, with dreams unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. It's like, damn, that pierces to my heart. I don't want to go to the grave with dreams unfulfilled. Yeah. Wow. I love that. That's the biggest, that's my biggest urge to people is figure out, reconnect with what you truly want. And I don't care if it's for two hours a week or 80 hours a week, find a way to have that thing in your life because that's how you're going to create joy. That's how you're going to create fulfillment. That's how you're going to be able to look back and say, I lived a damn good life. Yeah. Wow. So you've probably already answered this question 20 jillion times already, but I ask everybody, what would you tell someone who feels stuck with their life? Take action. Mm-hmm. You got to take action. So yeah. on, on top of that, get clarity first. Figure out, answer two questions for yourself. Who am I? Like, who are you? Going back to our conversation earlier. Now, what do you do? Yep. Not what is your profession? Who are you? And there's a great, uh, just to kind of give somebody a, uh, an exercise that they can do. 
you know, I believe that we all have the best version of ourselves and the worst version of ourselves. And most of us step out every single day as that worst version of ourselves. So you can even do this in two separate exercises. You can list out all of the, um, the things that describe the worst version of you and then list out all the things that describe the best version of you. Yeah, some of them can be aspirational things, um, like things you want to grow into. But what are the best things about you? That's who you are. That's the real version of you. And when you step into that version, then the second question you need to get clarity on is what do I want? Once you get clarity on what do I want, start taking action. I don't care what the action is. I don't care how big, how small, whatever. Start taking action. Take action every single day and you will get yourself unstuck. I love that. And I love how you keep reiterating that throughout the, the, this whole episode that you, that finding your purpose or calling isn't necessarily a career because I feel like we think it is oh, like, I know I do. So I feel it's like not. all we my, think it is. My wife's calling is to be a stay-at-home mom. Aww. Last time I checked, there's not a whole lot of stay-at-home moms that are breaking the bank. Yeah. You've got to figure out what your, what your true true calling is what is your true heart's desire with Mm -hmm. your life and then figure out how to integrate that some people it's loving kids but they don't want to be a teacher so go volunteer somewhere be a little league sports coach whatever it is but again it it all comes out of that clarity piece yeah love it so where can people follow you and connect with you Uh, you can find me on instagram and facebook those are the places i'm most active on social media if you just search justin aldridge i'm the the handsome guy towards the top (laughs) <laughs> just kidding. Um, and then they can go to my website. A blog, my blog is um, my biggest piece of value add right now where I'm pushing out content. If you're somebody who is stuck and you're seeking that clarity, I've got a great resource that you can download on there. Um, you can check out my blog post. That's just www.justinaldridge.me. And yeah, that's the, the, the best ways to get in touch with me. Nice. Is that the like... Um the worksheet clarity worksheet yeah the ultimate clarity guide yeah i I was like i've done this parsed like a little bit before with someone else it's like the core values or something or or no where you're at in your life right yeah it does some of that stuff and then starts to really take that that clarity piece once you've kind of judged yourself um Mm -hmm. taking that and then starting to get clarity on um where do you want to go from there? Because I feel like that's the the place where a lot of coaches leave it is like, Hey, I made you feel like crap about yourself by getting you to judge yourself. But now I haven't really started you on the next part, which is where yeah. do you want to go from here? Yeah. Gotcha. And yeah, in any way that I can, I can serve you, add value to you. Don't hesitate to reach out. Beautiful. Well, thank you for coming on. I'm so glad we connected through Instagram. I will try to watch more of your stories. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and not be intimidated. I'll just send them all to you in a DM. You so you have you no probably choice. Probably should. I'll be like, stop leaving me on scene. Yes. So wasn't that a good episode? His energy is freaking fantastic. And he is so inspirational. And go follow him because he always is always sharing stories and really good posts. Um, If you could, please share this episode on your DM or share this episode on your stories. You know, give us, let us know some takeaways. Tag me and him on me and him about your takeaways from the episode, what you liked. We would love to know. And yes, if you could share it with people, DM it people, text it, go rate and review on iTunes. That's how this podcast is going to get out. 
All right. Love you all. Have a great week. Bye.